Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. It is officially October, Sarah. Ding, 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 ding. October, the Halloween month for people that don't live in the city of Anoka and have been celebrating Halloween for a month already. Orange and black confetti stream down from the clouds. We do have a color scheme. Unfortunately, as a blonde, orange is not part of my color scheme. Russet, orange, mustard, yellow. These are my colors. Year round. Doesn't matter the month. I think people would be surprised to hear that Anoka's colors in parades and whatnot have not always been Halloween themed. That surprised me. So Karen George from QCTV and I sat down a couple years ago to do this oral interview. And when she said that the original float was not orange, I'm not going to do the spoiler alert. You guys mm-hmm. are going to have to listen to the interview to find out. I was shocked. And I had to use my reporter face and voice to not say <clears throat> in the middle of the interview. And so that's not recorded. But that was an internal moment of mine. What was Karen's uh, connection to the float being on a float? She was one of the princesses for a year back in her high school era, just before she went to college. And we have in the collection her dress and crown and other such paraphernalia. As you listen to the podcast, she'll talk about bits and pieces Um And so we have those in the collection now, and she's right. The dress is truly indestructible. Uh, It looks just brand new, and I think it always will for the next 70 years. (laughs) Good old 70s. She was specifically a Halloween Anoka princess? Yes, yes, good catch. So it was before the ambassador program started. I'm very familiar with the ambassador program. Those ladies are so kind and uh, lovely. The ambassadors come and bring the candidates to go on a ghost tour every single year. And it's always the best and funnest tours taking them around because they are getting ready to represent the city of Anoka and really wanting to hear that connection and background. So having Karen tell us a little bit about a start of that and how she experienced it is really interesting. It was fun to sit down with Karen because she is another executive director of a nonprofit in Anoka. So she's my, my partner in crime in a few programs and we bounce ideas off of each other. So from a friend standpoint, it was really interesting to sit down and hear this piece of her life that she had kept relatively cloaked from me up until now. And so we have all of her secrets. Well, let's listen to all of her Anoka princess secrets. And what color was the float before it was Halloween themed? Let's dive in. Extra credit. We will begin our oral interview with Karen George. Uh, it is November 4th, 2019. And we're at the Anoka County Historical Society in the morning. And I would just like to thank you for taking this opportunity to talk with us and create this history. 
Uh, Rebecca, I really enjoy coming. I'm just thrilled that um, you want to talk about what's happened in my life and my love for Anoka. Oh, absolutely. No, this is going to be super fun. So this interview is going to focus primarily on your experience as an ambassador, or because the ambassador program hadn't quite been invented yet, it was a princess, correct? correct? When you were in high school, was it the expected next step to run for the program, or was that not quite as big of a deal as it is now? Uh, not quite a big deal in my life. Uh, it was very interesting. So as a candidate, um, if I remember correctly, the criteria was that you had to be grad a graduate of Anoka High School or in the Anoka High School attendance area. And I believe now the program is younger, that they accept uh, young ladies who are still in high school. Um, so it was a graduate, so I graduated in spring of 79 and, and ran in fall of 79. Um, and it really wasn't on my radar screen. Uh, I was preparing to go off to my first year at college at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. Very excited about that next chapter. And I got a call from Susan Hammer. She was the uh, previous Miss Anoka. And she goes, she called me up and said, this is Susan Hammer and I'm calling um, to invite you to participate in the candidate program for the Miss Anoka. And I'm like, Really? <laughs> um, and I was just caught really off guard. And so I, I thought about it and talked about it with my parents and and decided that why not? Uh, and so I did sign up for the program. Were there a number of other girls that signed up at the same time? Yeah, I wasn't privy to what was happening behind the scenes, but I believe there were 45 young ladies um, in the candidate program that year. So it was a large graduating class and a lot of interest. What were a few of the events that you needed to do as a candidate? Um, I don't have a, a, a recollection because I was away at school. I do, all I remember is that we had a fashion show that was put on by Jensen's, and I think Dietrich's still had some, was a clothing store downtown. It was held in the basement of City Hall in the community room. Uh, a lot of ladies attended. I remember going and being fitted for a couple of outfits at Jensen's. That was very exciting. Um, and it was it was a formal luncheon. There were flowers on the tables, and, and your mothers came, and other ladies from the community and you had a fashion show. So I, I do remember that. That was um, a very fun experience. And then we had interviews, and those were held at Mount Olive Lutheran Church. Uh, I remember interviewing in a Sunday school room, and I actually attended, grew up attending Mount Olive uh, Lutheran Church. And so it was, it was kind of odd to be in an old mm -hmm. Sunday school room being interviewed by some judges. And then they had us there for a whole day. So then you'd go into the, um, the basement cafeteria area and they kept us busy with different activities while we were waiting for our interviews to be done. And then we had a, a lunch together all as candidates. Do you remember to the question? I don't. I, I only remember one question and that was on stage. Uh, at that time, they, uh, they did like a top 10, I, I don't exactly remember, but they, you made a, there was a cut at some point. 
uh, and then those number of candidates, let's just say it was 10, you were asked a fishbowl question on stage. And I do remember that question. That question was, if you had 24 hours left to live, how would you spend that time? And I just, I just remember, A, it was a pretty heavy question. Uh, um, and I, I don't exactly remember my answer, but just something about how family was very important to me and that I would spend some time with family and then I would spend some time alone. So walk me through how the, the ceremony itself was laid out. I know there was a short dress, so you came out, you introduced yourself in a short dress. Um, I believe you had to write up a description of the dress and include things about yourself like, you know, I don't, I, uh, something probably about, you know, Karen George is modeling a, a business attire, uh, you know, that takes you easily from day to nightwear. Uh, she is currently attending Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, where she is studying blank, blank, blank. And then you went backstage, you changed into your long dress, and then you came out, and that's when I believe you spoke into the microphone. And then there, you were all on stage when they announced the finalists. What do you think it was about you that brought you to the final three? I have no idea. Okay. There was no, no, there was nobody more surprised than me except maybe my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I had no expectation to get a, get a crown. I was, you know, I, I, I loved my town. I had a great experience growing up here. Um, it, it was a wonderful candidate experience. And I just never thought beyond getting the crown. I remember getting the flowers. I, um, because that, that was kind of a big deal. I think I was more entranced by getting a bouquet of flowers uh, handed to me than by a crown going on my head. Um, uh, and I just remember smiling a lot. And, and I think when I look back on the photos, just just really happy. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. But I remember getting, getting my things together and getting in the car. My brother was working at McDonald's and he was closing that night or had the late shift. And so we get in the car and mom and dad say, well, let, let's go show, let's go show Eric. <clears throat> and so I had, I had the crown, I still had the flowers, I had the sash, and we march into McDonald's, and my brother's behind the counter, and he just looks and he goes, no way, no way. <laughs> so that, that was pretty funny, very, very, um, very grounding, you know. My, my family took it all in stride, um, the, um, I think, I think any um, ambassador or past royalty person will tell you that it, it becomes a family affair. There was something special about the float the year that you became princess, was there not? The float was a pink and purple float. Uh, uh, quite lovely. It, it was a long flatbed covered in that, you know, the float plastic fabric. Um, again, pink and purple, and then it had like a some sort of a medallion at the back with steps up so the queen would sit at the top part and the two princesses would be down. Uh, and I remember the medallion at the back had a, a Grecian urn with some flowers uh, out of it. Um, and so we're, we're getting ready and we're getting the float set up and figuring it all out and I'm getting up on the float and my foot goes through. <laughs> my leg fell down through the float and my dad was in construction and he goes, well, well, we'll, we'll have to fix that. 
And so we went through the parade and we dragged it back to the float barn or where, wherever it was being stored. And my dad kind of got up under there and looked and sure enough, the whole flatbed was the rotted wood and, you know, it had seen better days. And so I'm sure that they went to the committee and said, we probably need to do something. And I remember sitting around the kitchen table brainstorming about why isn't this a Halloween float? And so my, my dad and I, we sketched out some options and he was kind of the engineer side of it, um, figuring out how to, you know, will it go under a street, street light when you go down the road and how will it tow and how do you make sure it folds up right to travel correctly? Uh, how can it fit with the, the current cover? Uh, because it has to have a cover to keep it out of the rain. Um, so we crafted a design that was a trellis, and at the top of the trellis in big letters it said Anoka. And then um, it was a little bit of a raised platform, and then it was um, aluminum piping bent. I remember him hand bending the aluminum pipe, and that was wrapped in orange float material, and that created the spines of a pumpkin. And so the queen sat inside this pumpkin, uh, and then the princesses were up, and we had large leaves, you know, so it looked like you were sitting in a pumpkin patch. Um, and so, you know, we brought it to the to the other families on the committee, and they liked it. And Maine Motors was uh, was and still is a wonderful supporter of the festival. And I remember going up into their garage, their big maintenance garage, with that they gave us to build the float. So you stripped everything off. Um, my dad had a dump truck that I knew how to drive, so backed up the dump truck and threw all the bad stuff in there. I think the other ladies were pretty surprised to see me driving a big dump truck. <laughs> uh, and then we debuted, I believe the float was debuted halfway through the summer at the um, Aquatennial. Uh, and and we, I believe the photograph is in the archives. We, we took uh, a prize. Uh, at, for the float design at that. And the good news is that ever since that float has been a Halloween themed float. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so a fun story. What did you use for a float while you were building the replacement? Uh, we, we did not have a float, we used cars. Okay. Uh, and I remember the Father Hennepin Days Parade in Champlin. Uh, they're early, they're early June, so they were one of the first parades that we went to. and. I remember it was a large old style convertible and it was gold, gold or a light yellow color. And the car conked out during the parade. And I, you know, all us, all three of us girls looked at each other and said, well, I guess we're walking. And we walked the parade route. So that, that was a fun memory too, is just things happen and you make the most of it. and. You go out there and smile and make friends. Well, speaking of making the most of it, the dress that you had, I believe, was a, a story in and of itself. Yeah, this is the late 70s. Um, not there, we were just getting out of a recession. And um, I know that my family didn't have a lot of extra money. Uh, and I'm sure that the committee you know, was keeping a mind on expenses. Uh, it's not like nowadays where the young ladies get a, a wardrobe um, for making appearances. And I remember the three of us going to, the three young ladies going to Minnesota Fabrics out of the Coon Rapids Family Mall. 
We had to pick out a pattern of a, of a formal dress to wear to parades and coronations. And so we went through the books together and we landed on a column dress with a little cape. Um, and this is where the story changes a little because I always thought that my mother made the dress. And so I went to her and I said, gee, mom, do you think we can find the pattern? And she goes, well, I don't remember sewing that dress. And I go, I, I, I thought, I know that she goes, yes, we did pick it out. But she goes, I think the committee might have had somebody make that for you girls. But so, so that's a funny thing about memory. You remember something and then you bounce it off of somebody and they go, well, maybe, maybe not. But I, I, I'm pretty sure that it was, uh, when you look at it, it certainly is a homemade dress. Um, and I remember picking out the pattern with folks. Uh, so it's in question whether mothers actually sewed it or, or the committee had somebody do it. But we got wonders. And what type of fabric was it? How did you agree on that? Um, you needed something durable, and it was the 70s, so it was out of Kiana knit. That thing will never decompose. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of parade season, it probably could have walked on its own. <laughs> and the crown had its own box. Yes, the crown came to me in a um, green egg-shaped zippered case that was looked like green crocodile and it had felt letters glued on it that said Anoka Princess and inside it was purple lined and had a little spot where the crown could be protected and then in there I had some bobby pins, my gloves because you had to wear the long gloves when you were on the parade route um, and your sash. You always wore a sash. Nowadays, the ladies wear name tags, kind of that more professional appearance. Um, but we had, we had a sash. The sash was professionally made um, that said your, your name, Anoka Princess, white with some gold edging. It was pretty substantial. And back in that time, you would trade buttons at all the different festivals. And we pinned our buttons to the sash. I don't think they do that anymore because it gets pretty heavy and um, uh, it also clangs a lot when you walk. Did most communities have a, a pretty boilerplate method of putting on a parade or, or did that vary as well? Each parade each festival has its own personality. A um, couple of things that jump out at me. Um, uh, the Foley Parade. For what we went up to Foley, and uh, it, that that was my first experience of a young man running up to the float and wanting to kiss you or shake your hand or somehow have an interaction with you, and I didn't know how to react because you know I think now there's parents and other people walking along the float. Um, but at the time, you know, your parents were driving the car in the float. <laughs> um, and I, I was really taken aback by that. And that's about the time the two liter pop bottles came out. Uh, again, this is late 70s, uh, 1980, 1979, 1980. And um, somebody informed me that a lot of the two liter pop bottles were actually mixed alcoholic drinks a lot of the parade round. <laughs> so, so Foley was kind of a party town. That was a party parade. Um, I, uh, the, the other parade I remember quite vividly is the Torchlight Parade uh, for Aquitaine. 
Uh, we were debuting our new float. It was quite hot. It was quite humid. You have to go down into Minneapolis, so it's a very big, um, a big parade with a big lineup. Uh, and I, I just remember walking around and being very, very warm and very happy to be on our new float. <laughs> Uh, and, and again, it was getting a lot of attention as people were milling around the pre-parade area to, to see our float that was going in the parade. When it came time for you to give up your crown, what sort of emotions did you go through at that point? Uh, I was ready. I was ready to give another young woman the experience. Um, it was great. It's uh, Part of it is a job, and you have a job to do. You're representing the city and the festival, and um, and I took that role seriously, but had fun with it. And it was time to pass it on to somebody else. Do you think most people understand the breadth of effort that it takes to keep a program like that running? The average person, no. Uh, anyone in the festival world, yes. One of the things that Anoka is known for um, and, and I'll give uh, credit to Sonia Weiler and Cheryl Carlson. Uh, they became involved in the royalty program as adults, young adults, uh, and they had some different ideas about how do you remain relevant in today's world. Uh, you know, the, the, the beauty queen era of the 50s and 60s to the festival um, ambassador role that it came to in the 80s and 90s. Um, but how do you remain relevant? And the what they settled on is an, a, a three equal ambassador experience. Um, so really that team experience, not a queen and two supporting princesses, uh, a, a true team experience. And that changed the dynamics of the program. And at the same time, they expanded the candidacy experience. So, you know, almost 20 years later, uh, Anoka, again, to give those ladies credit, as well as the committee, for embracing it and making it work, is um, we, the festival was one of the first ambassador programs in the state, and many have followed suit over the last 15 years. And what has evolved then is a true team experience. Uh, the interviewing and the traits you're looking for are a little different than a Queen Princess program versus an uh, ambassador program. Um, and the candidate experience is so rich. They start the candidate experience, I believe, in late July or early August. Uh, so you have a full month of activity where they're uh, painting fire hydrants and getting to know the public safety folks in the city of Anoka. They're doing a social at Walker Plaza with our, our residents over there. Um, uh, they're doing a candidate night out where they as a group of candidates get to socialize and s learn how to support each other in the program and beyond. Um, the, the interview and observations are uh, over a longer period of time where the judges are looking at um, how, how is this person as a single person and how do they interact with people um, as they come to engage with them, and how do they interact with their peers? How do they interact with committee members and volunteers? Uh, the judging experience and what it's yielding in the ambassador's candidate program and the ambassador's is, is 
just a so much richer experience um, than what I had. Uh, not to say that what I had was, was bad, it wasn't, it was very good, but it was 40 years ago. And you have to evolve and change to be relevant in today's world. How, looking back now, how can you see the skills that you learned from being an ambassador play out in your life? I think the, um, the experience I got uh, at the time in my life was pivotal. Um, I had gone off to college. I, I had been in junior achievement. I wanted to be a businesswoman and conquer the world. Um, and I was taking beginning level accounting classes and I was failing halfway through, failing. And yet this other part of my life was just taking off that people engagement and experience and listening to other people's stories and seeing the fabric of community and how it gets built and remains strong. Uh, so it was this pivotal point of questioning, am I gonna go off in the business world and conquer it and make lots of money? Or what about this other side of life, this building of community and we're all in this together? Um, and so this was all mashed up in my freshman year of college. Um, so I, I would say it was pivotal because of what I was experiencing in all the other areas of my life, living away from home, becoming independent, figuring out what I wanted to do in life. Um, and I will also credit a, a college counselor, uh, Hank Kachuk, uh, was his name, he has now passed on. You know, he called me into his office and, and I was struggling and he interviewed me and said, this is what you need to be doing. And I got into uh, working for the radio station at, on campus, um, learning how to do video production, uh, changing my, my career focus to public relations and marketing, and it's been a fabulous career. And one that has come full circle where I'm now doing that in the fabric of my own community now at QCTV um, and previous to that with the Anoka Hennepin School District. So um, it just really helped me clarify that that I wanted to be in a job, uh, a career that built community. Mm -hmm. And and I can say when I look back over my nearly 40 year career now that that's what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, and having that impact is very satisfying. That's neat when you can pinpoint almost mm -hmm. the activities and the moment where you, you saw everything come into a better focus. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Not too many people can say that. So I've been very fortunate. Yeah. No, that's great. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening. You're a very good listener. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hi, I'm Lydia Potoff, an adult services librarian at the Anoka County Library Northtown branch. And this is your Anoka County Library Minute. Our first book today is Looking for Miss America, a pageant's 100-year quest to define womanhood by Margot Mifflin. It's a fast-paced narrative of the century-long history of the Miss America competition. This book covers the never-ending controversies the pageant has faced and interviews many former contestants, including those who use their scholarship winnings to finance high-powered careers. Next, we have Miss World 1970, How I Entered a Pageant and Wound Up Making History by Jennifer Hostin. Hostin entered the Miss Grenada pageant on a lark, won it, then won the Miss World title in equally unlikely fashion. She describes her experiences during her year as Miss World, 
as well as how she used her title to build a diplomatic career in Grenada and Canada. That year's pageant was notorious for the women's liberation protesters who stormed the stage, planted bombs, and chased Bob Hope from the stage. The pageant also marked the first time a woman of color won the title. The juxtaposition of the formal objection to the exploitation of women and the racial barrier-breaking outcome made the 1970 Miss World pageant one of the most historic beauty pageants ever held. Next, we have a couple of children's books. The first one is Dumplin' by Julie Murphy. 16-year-old Willow Dean is an overweight Dolly Parton-loving girl whose mother directs the oldest beauty pageant in Texas. Willow Dean's mother diets to fit into a dress for the ceremony and tries to get her to slim down as well. She doesn't. This book explores all the teenage girl issues from boys to self-image in an entertaining way. This heartwarming story was made into a Netflix movie starring Jennifer Aniston. And of course, the movie has an amazing soundtrack by Dolly Parton. Next, we have Like Vanessa by Tammy Charles. It's the story of Vanessa Martin, an African-American middle school student in Newark, New Jersey, who's encouraged by her music teacher to enter her school's first beauty pageant, the same year Vanessa Williams wins the Miss America crown. Like most teenagers, she desperately wants to be accepted, but doesn't think she's pretty enough to win, even though she has a beautiful singing voice. This is a wonderfully told tale of a teenage girl facing her demons, and the neighborhood bully to become a confident young adult who can rise above her circumstances. Finally, we have independent movies for you. Little Miss Sunshine. The multi-generational Hoover family travels across the country in a VW bus to California to support their young daughter in the Little Miss Sunshine children's beauty pageant. This warm-hearted cross-country road trip will appeal to anyone who's taken a family vacation and somehow still loves their relatives when they return home. Happy reading and happy viewing. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. I can't listen to that interview and not laugh when I think of Karen going through the float. Her foot just like smash right through. I, I just can't. That's one of the most hilarious Flintstone type moments. I just, this image of the feet of the Flintstones underneath the float, you know, making it go. And how she princessed up and was like, I got this, running that dump, tr- <laughs> dump truck or whatever, <laughs> and still get stuff done. And I got this. And they created this amazing tradition that Anoka's float have, has always been Halloween themed since then. Yeah, and things have really changed from the coronation, I understand too. Yeah, they're no longer queens and princesses. Anoka has three ambassadors that share that duty um, equally. Anybody can go visit the coronation and watch that. It's always the evening after the Grand Day Parade. So you come into Anoka, see the Grand Day Parade, have a little afternoon snack, and then head to the Anoka High School to see the coronation. I've been to the coronation a couple of times and seeing all of the candidates on stage together that have bonded and volunteered together over the course of two months, support each other, and are genuinely congratulating the three that go on to be the ambassadors for the next year. I think it's awesome. The 
other programs that I've seen in other cities, the girls have the same commitment to each other. And it's a really unique moment where they may not see each other again after that. But for those couple months where they're in the candidate program, there really is a bond that gets created. It's a special time. If you want to see in person, live, Karen's dress and her crown and all the badges, we've got them at the History Center. You can come visit them anytime. Um, they're in the collection and with a bit of luck, they might even be on display before Halloween. And if you can't make it in, I'll have a couple of photos on our show notes page. So be sure to check it out. And you could listen to her full uh, interview on The Vault on our website. History 21. All right, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Bye, Sarah. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras, as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future. <laughs>